Well, today we're continuing on in 1 Corinthians. As you know, we've been going through that and I want to invite you to open up to chapter 2 today, which is where we'll be in our... uh, Yeah, in our journey, and um, this passage we're looking at today, Paul seems to be saying to the church in Corinth, um, he's trying to explain to them the type of message that he first preached to them. So the way it works is that Paul uh, was kind of like a missionary, went to Corinth, established a church, left, he's now in Ephesus, and he's writing to the church in Corinth. And he's trying to explain to them the type of wisdom and the type of message that he had when he um, brought a message to them initially. And that's, that's part of what chapter 2 is about. He's trying to explain to them the type of wisdom that comes with the message of Jesus. Because as we, as we saw last week, the church in Corinth and the, um, the, the people who lived there had different ideas of what was wise, right? And the message of Jesus didn't seem very wise to a lot of them. Of course, there were some who believed and had faith, and Paul seems to be reminding them again today a bit more, another facet of what Christian wisdom is, of what the message of Jesus is, and how that is wisdom for all believers. And so, last week we talked about how the wisdom of God um, is something that comes to us through the message of the cross, through Jesus' death on the cross, right? That's what we looked at last, last week. Paul said that Christ crucified is the wisdom and power of God for his believers, right? That's, that's for us. And the challenge for us was to take this wisdom on board, but it's not really like a knowledge that we receive and take on board in our, in our minds, but it's, um, it is a, a message that we receive when we live the way Jesus lived, right? Jesus invites us to follow him and to receive his wisdom, but that comes through dying to ourselves. It comes through uh, taking up our, our own cross, becoming living sacrifices, giving ourselves and our lives for others. And of course, Paul's not saying that we should literally die for others. We know that, although as we've heard today, it's probably happening in other places of the world. Christians are dying for, for others, literally. But what, um, what Paul's saying here is be, be a living sacrifice. And when we choose to do that, when we choose to live in, in a way that mimics the sacrifice of Jesus, that imitates him and the, the decisions that he made and the life that he made, that actually gives us wisdom, Christian wisdom. And it helps us in our relationships. It helps us in our decision-making. And um, it helps us to be people who represent him. And so interestingly, Paul's saying wisdom is not, um, you know, something you you gain from, um, you know, from past experience even, but it's, it's the message of Jesus applied to my life and living a sacrificial life for others. And so at the start of chapter two, Paul's explaining how he never planned to preach a message of wisdom that was wise or eloquent. This is what we're going to read in verses one to five. He says, I didn't come to you with human wisdom, um, but he shared with them uh, a testimony that relied on the Holy Spirit's work to bring that message of wisdom into their lives and to take effect. He says, I wasn't coming to wow you with with some sort of um, wisdom that will fade away. He's saying, I came to you with the message that Christ is crucified and the Holy Spirit has to illuminate that in your heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes Jesus come alive in us. And so this is what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. 
And remember, in Corinth, there was a wise person on every street corner saying, here's how you should live. And Paul says, I wasn't like them. I didn't come like those people. I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is saying here that when he came to the church in Corinth, he didn't want anyone to, to um, think that the message Paul knew and the message Paul was preaching was anything more or less than Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't want anyone to think that it was more or less than that. You know, and as we start out today, I think it's, this is a good thing to remember, a good thing to be recalibrated by, you know, recalibrating our lives and ourselves today, especially as we move to a time of communion um, in a few moments. You need to know that, and I know that you know this, but we need to remember, we need to be reminded, we need to live in a way that says being a Christian, having faith in Jesus is, is, is about being centered on him, the person of Jesus and his crucifixion. You know, his life, death and resurrection, that's our message. It's that God came to save us. He stepped out of heaven. He came to live our experience and he died on a cross for us, right? And so recalibrating ourselves um, is, is what we're called to do. We're students of him. We're students of his way of life. You know, and the pivotal point of his life was when he was on the cross. When he seemed most weak, that's where all of the power came, right? To change us, to, to bring power into our life. In his death, new life was born. You know, and I, um, I want to share later on, I might just turn to it now, a scripture out of John 12. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds, right? A seed has to be planted. It has to die for something to grow out of it. And this is what it means to be a Christian, right? We have to die to ourselves. And Paul's saying in that dying to ourself, in the invitation to come and die with Christ, there's wisdom and there's life and there's a new life in Christ. And so the invitation to come and follow Jesus is an invitation to die that he might live in us, right? And so I think this is such a good message for a communion Sunday. It's such a good message of wisdom. If we're not sure, you know, what to do in a certain situation, what, what to do in our relationships where we're struggling, it's like, um, how can I express the sacrifice of Jesus in this decision, in this relationship that I have? How can I live like him? Paul says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling, right? And I think he's, he's trying to say the attitude that I had was not like, look at me, I know, I, I know some things. It says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So Paul was relying on the Holy Spirit to bring the very simple message of life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the hearts and minds of the people who heard it, right? And as, and as the Spirit made it take effect in them, they would know that what they're hearing is not something that a human could make up, right? This is part of what he's trying to get across. His point is human minds, like human wisdom can't make this story up, you know? This is only a message of wisdom from God. It's not something some wise guy cleverly crafted and thought people might pay me money to hear this message if I stand on the street corner, 
like others were doing. He says, no, the Holy Spirit, he's the only one who could prove this to be true to people as he brings the message to life in them. And so the rest of chapter two, Paul's trying to explain that while the message was not from human wisdom, there is a wisdom that comes from the Spirit of God. You know, he kind of says on the other side of that coin, there, there kind of is a wisdom and that wisdom is the message of Jesus. It's the wisdom of the Spirit of God alive in us, right? The, the mind of Christ in us and, the, and the, the way that that helps us live the life of Christ. So he says in verse six, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, right? And when he says the mature there, he's not saying the mature Christians, he's just saying those who, those who get it, those who have the Spirit, they, they're mature by having the Holy Spirit in them, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So Paul says, we did tell you a message of wisdom, but it's not the sort you're used to hearing, right? What you hear from the rulers of this age who are perishing, right? If a, I think if a Roman ruler died, they were like deified. They became a God who was worshipped. And Paul's trying to say the rulers of this age that you're used to, they die, they come to nothing, you know, he's saying, I'm telling you something different. The authorities set up in this world, even if granted power by God, they're not eternal. Their message is coming to nothing. And so he says in verse seven, no, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He's kind of saying, man, if, if people actually knew who he was, they would have been afraid to crucify him. But they, they didn't understand the message. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing. <clears throat> However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. So there's a lot of points in this, these couple of passages and often the way Paul writes doesn't make a lot of sense. It's kind of hard to understand. Um, but Paul is saying here that the message of wisdom is actually the message that God's been preparing since before time began, right? Before God created anything, he had in mind um, this, this mystery, this message of Jesus Christ and his glory and his crucifixion. What Paul is saying is that the message of Jesus Christ on the cross wasn't a backup plan, right? It wasn't like, gee, I better pull out my trump card because nothing's worked so far. You know, it's like, no, from since before time began, God had this message of Jesus Christ in his mind. This was God's plan before, since before time began. And the message of wisdom Paul brings is that God has wisdom that establishes a plan from before time began. You know, he's saying this is an eternal plan. This is a message that's unlike any human could make up. It's an unchanging plan from an unchanging God, and it's going to be seen through to eternity, right? That's the message. That's the message of the gospel. That's Jesus crucified on the cross. That's what we uh, preach. That's what Paul preached. And Paul says that God prepared this mystery and message of wisdom for those people who would love him. He prepared it for us, right? It was hidden for a time and then it's revealed through Jesus Christ on the cross and his glory. Paul uses it, that word glory a couple of times and it's very interesting. He says, 
God destined this mystery and this message of Jesus Christ on the cross for our glory. And I want to talk about what he means by glory because it sounds like, oh, God kind of wants to puff us up and glorify us, but that's not the type of glory he's talking about. Um, the, the Hebrew word for that, that Greek word glory is, means weight, like, like, um, like substance. And in Middle Eastern culture, a weighty person was not how much they, you know, weighed on the scales, but it was someone of substance, right? It was, it was someone who, um, you know, had integrity and they had balance and stability and sound judgment and patience and impartiality and, and, um, and they were a noble person, right? And so Paul's saying the glory of Jesus on the cross is actually destined to sort of rub off on us and we're going to receive that glory and that weight. We're going to become weighty people, right? Not on the scales, not on our waistline, but people of substance, people whose, whose character has depth because Jesus is alive in us, right? When we connect with Jesus and identify with his death, we get affected by his glory. I think um, I can never know whether it's Augustine or Augustine, does anyone want to throw it out there? But I say Augustine. I see a few nodding heads. Yeah, that's good. It's hard to know when you've got like, you know, an American couple here, they say things funny all the time. And I'm sorry, sorry, guys. Oregano and oregano. And no, sorry. Wow. That just took the light off what I was about to say too. Augustine translated this, this uh, idea of the Lord of glory as the Lord who dispenses glory. Okay, it actually comes out of him. And that, that weightiness of character, that substance of who he is as a person who has sound judgment, of a wise person who can make decisions, that comes out of him and it, and it was destined for us as his people. Isn't that like a cool thing? I think that's an awesome thing. We become affected by his glory. And I think that's the difference. That's, that's why people know the gospel is real. The Holy Spirit affects that glory inside of them. The substance and character of Jesus becomes part of us. And I think that's a good thing to keep in mind as we share in communion, right? We're not actually drinking Jesus' blood. We're not actually eating his body. But a prayer to pray today is that the substance of Jesus' life would enter into our life, right? That as we identify with his death into the grave and we die to ourselves and say, yep, that's me, Jesus. I'm, I'm coming to die again as I share in communion today. I need your substance of character in my life. I need your glory to be revealed in my life. So Paul goes on to say in the second half of verse 10, he says, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. So Paul's explaining something here. At the start, he's basically just saying, you know, we're not mind readers. As much as I'd love to know what's going on in, in other people's minds sometimes and just, if I could just figure out what they're thinking, you know, have you ever felt that way? 
right? We're not, that's not who we are. It's not possible. But Paul's saying our spirit within us, you know, our soul knows what our mind is thinking. We know uh, the depths of our own thoughts. And he says the spirit of God, it's, it's the same deal with the spirit of God and Jesus or God, right? Only the spirit of God knows the deep thoughts of God. And so what he's saying here is, um, we have the Spirit of God in us. We've received the Spirit of God. Therefore, we've received an ability to kind of yield ourselves to what God's thoughts are about a situation, God's wisdom. This is how we receive wisdom in Christ. The Spirit of God has been given to us and dwells in us, and then we must have the ability to understand the mind of Christ, right? That's, that's sort of an, a pretty amazing thing. And I know it's not always clear cut, right? I'm sure that for some reason or another, we kind of blur the picture, right? We don't, we don't see it quite as clearly as we should at times. But I think if we can take the time to yield to Jesus, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to show us the way, to guide us in life. I think Paul's saying we actually have wisdom from God. We have the mind of Christ in our life. And so he gives two examples of what it's like to live without the Spirit or what it's like to live with the Spirit. He says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Right? This is verse 14. He's saying, If you don't have the Holy Spirit, man, you, you just are never going to be able to receive the mind of God in you. It says, They cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. You've got to have the Holy Spirit in you in your life, taking effect in order to understand what God wants to say to you, in order to understand the Word. You know, there's a lot of smart people who've read the Bible, you know, many times over, and they just still don't have relationship with Jesus. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them illuminating it for them, right? That's the life of the person without the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, Right? And not like negative judgments, but makes evaluations about all things, has wisdom. Such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Right? And so what does that mean? That I think what he's saying is the people without um, the people without the spirit, they they kind of don't understand the way we're gonna live. And so you're not really subject to their judgments on your life. You know, they're not gonna be able to evaluate your life clearly because you're living by the Holy Spirit. You're not living without the Holy Spirit like they are. Paul says, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He's quoting Isaiah. And he says, but we have the mind of Christ. That's where chapter two finishes. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you'll be a weighty person. <laughs> That's what he's saying. <laughs> not, not a heavy person, but a weighty person. Someone with substance, someone with character. <clears throat> someone who will be able to evaluate things with Christ leading because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Does that sound like a good idea? Does that sound like something that we want to... Uh, have take effect in our life, in our relationships, in our work, in our decisions, in our families. I think so too. (laughs) I think Jesus is inviting us as we come to communion to remind ourselves of his wisdom. We have the mind of Christ, Paul says, if you have the spirit, and it doesn't matter 
doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the mind of Christ, you have access to yield to Him. He wants to remind ourselves of His glory on the cross. The cross of Christ actually made all of this possible for us. He wants to remind us of the eternal plan that since before time began, God had all of this in mind for us, that we would have an advocate, someone to walk beside us. You know, as, as Ash was sharing in that devotion, someone, a king who goes before us, beside us and behind us. We have that in our life. Everything that he calls us into is an invitation to die to ourselves that he may live. And with that in mind, I want to invite you to come uh, to the communion table. And there's a couple, of, couple more verses before you get off your seat, actually. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus says in Mark uh, 8.35, he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Mark 9.35, Jesus says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. This is like a, a, a very interesting thing about the gospel. It's like the world tells us, human wisdom would say, oh, if you want to have a good life and be successful, like put yourself first, you know, make sure that you protect your life and manage your life and steward it in a way that, you know, um, looks after number one. And Jesus says it's actually the opposite. You've got to die in order for there to be fruitfulness in your life. So I'm going to pray, and um, as I start praying, I want to invite you to come and, um, and to grab some of the, uh, the cup, a cup here, and we'll take them together in a moment. So let's pray. God of grace and mercy, we thank you that you have always loved us and provided for our redemption. We thank you that it was your plan since before time began. We thank you that it was uh, even hidden so that the glory of Christ would be revealed in an even more amazing way. We thank you for your son who died to save us and for your spirit who invites us to draw near, your spirit who dwells in us, your spirit who gives us wisdom and the, and the mind of Christ. Guide us now as we commemorate the suffering of our Lord. Help us to remember the cost of our salvation. Help us to commune with you and with each other. And so consecrate the bread and the juice here prepared. As we partake of them, we may receive the spiritual benefits of Christ's broken body and shed blood. In his name we pray, amen. Amen.